it was about that time. So what my son was very young and I just remember like, what am I, what am I doing? I do not want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of a solution. And no matter what, this is going to be fun to come up with new solutions and new ways of doing things and just like doing things better, you know? That was Derek Sabori. You're listening to the As I Say podcast. My name is Bjorn, and today I'm excited to share a conversation about moving away from the old way of doing business to a more honest, responsible, and sustainable direction. Balancing people, the planet, and profit. It is about understanding that each step of the way from the production of a shirt, people and communities are impacted that we have to consider. We'll also talk about the perfect cheese sandwich of sustainability. But before we dive right in, Derek got his Bachelor of Arts and Master's in Business from the University of California at Irvine, has five years of experience in the restaurant industry, and started as a receptionist at Volcom that then led to a 19-year journey to being the Vice President of Sustainability. If you haven't heard of Volcom, Volcom is a lifestyle brand focusing on Surfers, skateboarders, snowboarders, they produce swimwear. You may have heard of the Volcom Pipe House in Hawaii that hosts one of the most popular surfer competitions in the world. And if you don't, you should check out some videos on that. They're really cool to, to look at. After 19 years of working for Volcom, together with Troy Eckert, who's also one of the first employees to work for Volcom, started Cosm, a yoga brand for men with an open business model that is B Corp certified. And what a B Corp corporation certification is, you'll just have to stay tuned for that because Derek breaks that down. He also hosted a TED talk about the humble domino, which is also really interesting. And he has his own sustainability consultant firm where he helps businesses become more sustainable and he also has online courses that you can sign up for. And he is also a teacher at the Orange Coast College where he shares his knowledge on sustainability with students. We'll be right back with Derek Sabori on being part of the solution. Well, well, Bjorn. Well, Bjorn. What's his name? Bjorn. As they say. Keep it simple. Well, Bjorn. As they As they say. You know, one of the ones that always makes me laugh. As they say. It would probably be hike your own hike. But it's true, though. <laughs> well, Bjorn, as they say. Can I just means willy-nilly? As they say. Bjorn. Can you John Hancock this? As they say. Don't get all up in your wool. I'm right there with yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the English word. I can't think of it. <laughs> As they say. Oh, okay. It's Gummia. Hello, Bjorn. Experience is what you get. Mm. As they say. They. Mm. As they say. Well, Bjorn. Thank you for being here. You're listening to the As I Say podcast. Hello. Hello. Now I can hear you. There we go. Sorry about that. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Bit, I'm always a bit nervous before these things because I'm pretty new. From what I heard from David you, and our conversation, you're a very nice guy. <laughs> I'll try to be nice. I'm nervous. <laughs> I always get nervous too, so it's all right. <laughs> where Where are you right now? Costa Mesa, California. Oh, it's pretty sunny. 
Yeah, it's nice. Beautiful. We got nice weather. It still feels a little bit like summer and yeah, no complaints. Oh, that's great. Where are you? I'm in Atlanta. East okay. Coast. Yeah. My uh, family is in Germany. They left me alone pretty much mid-pandemic. Really? <laughs> yeah. They said, they said, good luck. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Oh, man. That's how it is. Derek, thank you for being here. I think there's a lot I don't know about the clothes I wear or general sustainability because it's such a general and broad term. And there's so much to it. And your career path and Cosm and your, his, your background with Volcom is super interesting. And so I also, I listened to your TED talk and you also worked in the hospital in, uh, at rest in restaurants, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that's something I think where I can relate to because I'm working at a restaurant now and I didn't, don't like it at all either. <laughs> I think it's so good though. It's so valuable. It's such a valuable lesson. There's so many good, valuable life lessons in that industry. So at that time you were in college right? Or when was that? Was that at uh, University of California in Irvine? Yeah, it was. So I was going to school at UC, uh, UC Irvine. And I started working my way. I mean, immediately when I went to school, I knew I was going to be working through school. So I got my first restaurant job there close by here in Costa Mesa uh -huh. and started off as a host at the front desk, you know, seating people, and then turn that into a little mini career. I think I worked you know, in the restaurant industry for, I don't know, the next five or seven years kind of thing. And in fact, met my wife as a, well, we both worked in a restaurant together. But oh, really? What yeah. kind of restaurant was it? So first it was at a burger joint. It was a place called Red Robin. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being a food server there for, for years and still keep in touch with a lot of people there. It was so fun. And I mean, it's fast paced. You get, you get your money quick. It's like, I look at it as like being a, it's an entrepreneurial opportunity every table you get, mm. right? So you're a bit, you're, it's your chance to go in and sell your customers on something, do some marketing, handle your accounting, keep your books straight, you know, do your upsells, do your maintenance, follow up on customer service, and then close the deal. So yeah. I loved it. And I loved how the, you know, how busy you could get and, and you had to learn how to have you know grace under pressure to continue to keep your composure no matter how busy you're getting because mm. you've got to interact with that next table who sits and they don't they don't they don't deserve to know how busy you are or how miserable your night is going they deserve a good experience so you have to right. learn to take a breath put on a good face and play the game and provide a good service for them so you know and then i also just the fact of of good teamwork with everybody and learning to work with others learning who is stronger and who needs help sometimes and learning how to chip in and help others, even though it may not be your job. Mm. So I did that. Yeah. All through college. And, and in fact, when I went on to be a manager at Volcom, when I would get resumes to hire people, especially back, you know, when I was doing it, younger designers or design assistants or people who weren't necessarily high level people, mm. um, you know, with the, who were deep in their careers, but I would always look and if they had restaurant industry experience, I always would kind of put those aside because I knew, that those people knew how to handle pressure 
and they knew how to stay organized, stick with the deal, finish the project. There is no walking away in the middle of a, of a dinner service, nope. right? You just, you've got to get through, you got to get through all the way to the end. So I still think there's a lot of, I tell my students all the time, use that to get through school. It's a great, it's a great, uh, great path. Yeah. Yeah. I, that completely, I, now when you, when you broke it down, like <laughs> you have pretty much all aspect of business right at the table when you take your notes and when you talk to the customers, uh, it's, that's very true. I, I, right now I work, uh, I switch kind of switched worked at a, uh, also a server. And then, uh, now it, some restaurants have like the seniority, seniority, I think. Yeah, seniority. And it's so hard to breach into that when you're because yeah. <laughs> all the people have like been working there for 10 plus years right and then i'm the little two-year-old uh new newbie <laughs> yeah well and i think that's the hard thing too is in the restaurant industry is getting out if you want to get out right i mean some of us know that that's not where we are we want to be or destined to be we know that it's a launch pad for some people it is it's a great career it can be a great career but for me i knew that i had to get out but it was hard because it was fun the money was good it was very flexible i could go on a surf trip and then come back and pick up shifts and get you know it was so easy yeah so but leaving that and kind of going in and settling into a you know a typical job is a life change so you had to i had to make that conscious effort to go okay I'm going to leave the good money right now in the hopes that I will build that back over time. But I do remember consciously going, okay, <laughs> this is it. Those days are done. They're done. And I'm on to this next chapter. So did, did, at, at that time, did you think when you're in college, did you think you, you're going to work for Vulcan? Was that kind of like a dream company? Because at, when you started, the company was still pretty new, right? Yeah, it was very new. No, I didn't know. I mean, I knew a little bit about them, but at the time they were really small. I mean, I started kind of shopping around. It was like 95, 96. So when I got, I think I got, when I got officially hired there. So they were formed in 1991. So they only mm. had, you know, just a handful of years underneath them. They were still a really small little company. I think there were like 20 something employees there. Wow. Everything was all under one roof. So it was like early, you know, pretty early days. And I only got, I had a friend that I went to school with at UCI who she was headed, she was part of their finance team. And what was funny is they were so still in their development phase that she was an art major with me. She was not even a finance person, but uh. she was running, you know, she was their accountant. And um, she called me one day and said, hey, we need somebody to come answer the phones. Our receptionist is sick. And you want to come, you know, cover the phones for a couple of days. And I said, yeah, of course, it's summertime. What a cool brand. Wow. And, you know, they couldn't pay, she said, but we'll give you some hats or some stickers or something. I said, cool, no problem. And that ended up leading to a 20-year career there. You know, it's crazy. But I love how organically that, that happened. Then from, from then on, you started, so you went into receptionist, and then you got into merchandising soon, right? Yeah, so it, it was, and I will say, you know, I, when I tell my career story, sometimes when I get in front of students and I have my PowerPoint, I, I like it. Have you seen the movie Forrest Gump? I have, yes. <laughs> okay, so you know how Forrest Gump, you know, it seems like he just keeps getting lucky and good things keep happening. And I do, you know, I, I do think for a time in my life, I just really felt like, man, I just, I always get lucky and things just happen. Hmm. But I think for you, like you're doing now, and like you, you, you sort of put it out there. But even look at you're already 
you know, by you reaching out to people and getting them on your show and building this. And even though it seems new and maybe you're feeling like it's just brand new, you are yeah. putting things in place and uh, building connections and doing the building blocks and doing the work. So you're building your future luck right now, which oh. I, you know, I looked back and I'm like, you know what? I, I did do that. My wife was really good about saying, no, 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 you didn't get lucky. That was you that did all that. So you have, we have to give ourselves credit for the work that we are doing in between even though it feels like nothing's happening and you're sort of waiting, but you're not just waiting on the couch watching movies. No. You're like, okay, I'm doing stuff. I'm out in the restaurant. I'm meeting people. Every time you're networking, you're, reach, you're reaching out to strangers to say, hey, can I chat with you and learn from you or, or talk with you? So I, I think that's the important thing because that's what I have always done. I was always hungry to take on another table, to take on another job, to take on a, a to build a department that didn't exist. So at Volcom, to answer your question, there came an opportunity. Eventually, I went from answering the phones to stuffing envelopes and packing orders and like order acknowledgements. The sales reps would send it in an order, you'd print it out, put it in an envelope, send it off to the retailer, et cetera. So I did that for a while. And then I started entering the orders in. And since I was so good as a, as a waiter from like doing the 10 key and like looking mm -hmm. at your card and like entering your order real quick, um, I was really good at, you know, punching in all these numbers and putting in all the orders real quick. Oh, so that wow. led, you know, so I ended up, I was there part-time for a while. And then eventually a position as a design room manager came up. They needed somebody to manage the design, all the designers. And there were just a handful of them. I didn't have any management experience. I was an art, I was an engineering major who switched over to art. So I came in think, hoping maybe I would be an artist. Ah, and somehow I got yeah. that job though, as a manager to manage that team. Hmm. And that's what led me into merchandising, which is sort of the business side of, of, of fashion, you know, planning out the products, how much things will cost, when you'll sell them, how big the line is, what should be offered, et cetera. Kind of building your menu, if you, if you will, what's yeah. going to be offered every season. <laughs> and so um, it, that sort of evolved. But if I wouldn't have applied or told, told the team there, hey, I think I'm the right person for this job. And they were, you know, even them, they were hesitant and said, well, you don't have any experience. I don't know, but yeah, let's give it a try. And mm -hmm. I got in there and I proved myself. And that meant when that position, when there was another opportunity, I, I got that. And I just kept every job I had there, the position didn't exist before I got there, which was great. Except for the, the phones. Of course, somebody had to answer the phones, but they needed somebody to, first of all, I started purchasing fabric and trims. So that was my first official job. I had to buy because we would produce everything here domestically in, mm -hmm. uh, in the States. So I would have to buy all the fabric, all the trims, all the labors, all the, I mean, all the um, labels. They didn't have somebody that was dedicated to that job. So mm -hmm. they brought me in. So I did that. And from that, I did the design room manager. And that led to me managing the men's um, and youth team. And I did that, ended up doing that for years. And then I went and started what was called the planning and analysis division, kind of doing mm -hmm. working with sales and finance and product teams to keep everybody in the loop on how the numbers lined up to what the business plan was. And then along there is when I found sustainability and turned that wow. into my, my new career. So each yeah. one of those roles, that's why I stayed there so long because they were just new entrepreneurial opportunities, if you will. Yeah. And they just kept you kind of like reaching for that new branch, I guess. But it's I get what, yeah, I get what's called the five-year itch. So every five years or so I start feeling like, okay, what's next? Like I have to, I got to move forward. I need to have a new accomplishment, something new on my resume. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it really is sort of like inside. It's not always just superficially. I need to check it off. 
but my, and that's just how I am. I need to know that I am moving forward, progressing to the next thing. Mm. And Volcom always provided that to me, just sort of, it just would happen. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, here's a new opportunity. This is cool. A new challenge, new people. I'm learning a new skill. Mm. Well, let's do this. Yeah. Five years or so would go by and then a new opportunity would come by. So it, it's been crazy that truly between five and six or seven years, new things have always just kept, kept evolving in my career, which has kept it really interesting. Is that, is during this time, did you meet Troy Eckert? Did you meet him? I did. Yeah. So, yep. Troy was the first employee at Volcom. So obviously he had already been there for, you know, those five years before I got there, six years, whatever. So he was one of the earliest people. Um, he was the third person to come on, you know, be part of the team, their first mm. paid employee, but he was ahead of all of marketing um, for the, for the brand. And so he and I worked together for years at Volcom. And I like to think that he, you know, really helped even promote my sustainability career because while I was really finding myself learning more about sustainability, becoming really passionate about it. And we tried to start this little club and I was, it was becoming more and more part of my, my, my role there, but he decided um, they were doing the Vulcan pipe pro, which is a big surf contest that happened every year. And they've been doing it for years. Uh-huh. And he said, Hey, I want to do something there at the pipe pro that contest which is at the houses uh, pipeline, two beachfront houses. They're world famous for all. Is this all the, the Volcom house? Volcom house. Exactly. I yeah. looked at some YouTube videos before, and I was wondering if you went because I'm interested in surfing. I just took a couple lessons, and but I'm always fascinated. I wish I just lived by the ocean and could practice. But that those videos, I was going to add. What was wondering if you've ever been there or seen like a competition or something. I did. So I would go there multiple years to help them with the sustainability efforts. But Troy really wanted that to be a part of the pro- the program was to have sustainability um, initiatives there at the contest. Mm. So even for me to find myself at the pipe houses, at the world famous pipe houses, up on the balcony with the world's best surfers, I, I even comment got to do commentary on the surf contest in the booth with the headset on. Wow. And so those are just, you know, crazy things. But yeah, so Troy was really supportive of the work that I was doing there. So eventually he left Volcom and I was um, still working there when he called me and said, hey, I've got this idea for this new brand, for this brand called Cosm. I think there's a space in in, for men's yoga and focusing on sustainability. And Mm -hmm. I can do the branding side, he said, but I need help doing the, the product side and sustainability right you, you want to come on board and come help me and so i said yeah great opportunity let's do it and that's when i left volcom after 19 years and decided to go take a leap start that um, help troy start that mm. and um in the meanwhile i had to do you know while we did that startup i would when i did consulting and kind of taking all the stuff i learned volcom hired me back as a consultant so i continued to consult with them for another four or five years and this is where the underswell comes in, right? Yep. So I branded that as it's called the underswell. And so that's my consulting business and I help individuals. I help um, brands. So I work now with, um, you know, mostly both. And then I do um, online teaching as well. So I teach through that course. It's called the school of understanding, the underswell school of understanding. Hmm. And just to kind of share everything that I've learned over the last 12 years of sustainability and fashion and apparel to people who want to do business more responsibly or to do it better or to focus on 
what we call the triple bottom line, you know, mm. focusing on the balance of people, planet and profit and just doing business in a more responsible way. Mm. So, yeah. So now it's great. So everything I do, and then I also teach at a college, uh, I teach at Orange Coast College. I developed a um, three semester sustainable fashion program there. Wow. So everything I do revolves around sustainability, responsible business, changing careers towards sustainability or helping brands move into that space and help them, you know, look at their supply chains, their strategies, their commitments, educating their employees and their staff to get them on board. I'm wondering, did the, the event that you first were Pipe House, was that kind of like the moment where you said, I love this? Um, that was one of the moments, but it actually, I, I remember very clearly for me, we, com we formed this little club. It was like our little eco club back then, right? It was called the Vecological Society. And this was our opportunity to try to get an employee-led little group together to focus on, and this was like 2005, let's say, 2000, you know, so 2005, maybe 2006. And this was us just trying to say, hey, how can we do things better here? What kind of things can we do as employees, as a company? So this was a, the, the earliest days of a sustainability program, but it was we weren't addressing our products and the supply chain and labor issues and you know environmental impacts. It was just about how can we do better for our community? And we would do these things called lunch and we would do little lunch and learns. And one of them, we watched um, the movie An Inconvenient Truth. Inconvenient Truth, okay. We brought that on and we watched it and that was Al Gore's first climate change movie. That was the first, um, uh, we did, he just had the sequel, what, two years ago or so mind-blowing you know for me in 2006 to be watching a movie about climate change and by then i had, I had my second degree because i went back to school for my mba while i was at vulcan it was a full like a full time fully employed program at uc irvine as well so by then i had two degrees i had what 10 years of experience and i'm watching this movie on climate change and environmental impacts associated with business and just going this is crazy. Like, why do I not know? Why do I know nothing about this? Why has nobody talked to me about this, taught this to me, showed me to it? Why is it not anything that anybody is pressuring me to do mm. as a young professional now and or somebody who, you know, did a great, had a great education through one of the best universities, you know, in the country. And yes, it was, you know, years ago, but still I was like, but there's a whole movie on this. This is, a, there is something going on here. I did have one class early on in my first year of UCI that touched on it, but it was, it was just wasn't enough. So for me watching that movie, that was my moment. I call it a spark moment where it just went boom. I'm like, yeah. this is it. This is what, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my career. I knew it right then. I'm like, man, that's it. Because I think by then, so my, I just had my son, it was about that time. So my son was very young and I just remember like, what am I, what am I doing? I do not want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of a solution and no matter what this is going to be fun to come up with new solutions and new ways of doing things and just like doing things better you know yeah where we know it's not going to have impact on the people and the planet and there were already other influencers i had along the way who had always kind of nudged to hey let's not i don't like the way that that, that smells that ink smells or this dye smells it must be bad for the workers can we do something about that you know so one of my good friends, his name was Neil Harrison. That's how he was, but we weren't calling it sustainability or ethical or anything back then. He just had this gut that's like, this just doesn't seem right for mm. the workers. Right. I, you know, and so I remember that always stuck with me, but to have it all kind of culminate into this movie 
was, but that was mostly on the environmental side. And it wasn't much, you know, years later until I really understood that sustainability is not just environmental, it's social and people and people I think come first because we can't have, nobody's going to be looking out for the planet if we have a society that is just under duress, you know, malnourished in poverty, dealing with the inequity and injustices of, of the world. So we need to get people up to a certain level so that everybody can go, okay, now let's protect our, our home because it all, it all goes together anyway. You know, we can't, yeah. we don't get to live without the planet. The planet can't live without us, you know, being in a place where we can look after it. It's all tied together one system, I believe. So, um, so yeah, that was my flash moment uh, as it will, as it would be. Yeah. And I, um, is the term correct? Fast fashion is that yep. there are sustainable brands and where the products are probably a little bit more expensive than if we'd go to fast fashion. Um, like as a student, if you have a lower budget, you're more likely to go to, I don't know, you go to like one of those fast fashion brands, but how, how do we close that gap? Cause more businesses will be sustainable would the prices still be higher than if we did just have a couple you know companies who are sustainable and what are the steps we can take not just us as people but the bigger businesses um because the fast fashion is so easily it's so not easy it's easier to access um financially you know yeah Okay, so I think you asked a couple things in there. So those are all good points. I think um, there's a great book that's called The Ecology of Commerce. It's written by mm -hmm. Paul Hawken. It's probably one of the most important books on sustainability that there is. There are a couple. There's The Ecology of Commerce, Cradle to Cradle. Those were some of the earliest books on this idea of doing business in a, in a better way. And Paul Hawken and his book, The, um, the Ecology of Commerce, talked about this idea of, of balancing people, planet, and profit, and also just the way that the, the incentives to do business are flipped. They're wrong. It's wrong. It's a, mm. it's a flawed model because we incentivize people to do everything they can to cut out, to not um, account for any of our impacts, mm. right? So if we can not address emissions, if we cannot address pollution, if we cannot address deforestation, Somebody else will just pay for that. And guess who does? Society does. We all do, right, somehow. But those are called externalities. So when we kind of ignore those costs that are actually happening, and we're not focused on clean water and everything we do, safe chemicals and the, the health impacts of the workers, you, you end up working your way down to the, to the bottom, you know, just eliminating every cost you can because we want to do it as cheap as we can, all things aside. And the con consumer is conditioned to also like that because it's just human nature. We need it cheaper. We want it cheaper. We only have a certain amount of money. So um, it's this idea though that we need to do something better to how can we make it so that companies who are willing to address those costs and say, you know what, I acknowledge that we are creating emissions. I'm going to do what I can to reduce those and pay to offset those, or I'm going to pay for a certification or a verification in my supply chain that there is no deforestation associated with my products or that there is no soil depletion or species loss or biodiversity loss or whatever it is, we've got this long checklist or social problems or fair labor, or I want to address um, poverty and pay my workers a living wage. All of these things, these are additional costs. They just are. 
sustainability will never be the cheaper way to do it. We can, yes, eventually scale up and have cost efficiencies, but sustainability comes with having complete visibility in your supply chain mm -hmm. and addressing everything along the way at every stage. We call it, you know, kind of the, the value chain goes from raw material extraction. We call that from the cradle all the way to the grave, to the day that that shirt you're wearing, when you're done with it because it's stained really bad or it finally got a hole, it's, an, it's at its end of life. What do we do with it then? Does it go to the landfill? Can it be recycled? Is there a system to do that? Can it be repurposed? So every one of those stages along the way though has this laundry list of environmental impacts and social impacts. So in order to make that shirt the right way, we would have to start with the cotton or the linen or whatever it was, how was that grown? Where was it grown? In what type of region was it grown? What about water use? What about energy emissions? What about chemicals? What about fertilizers? How was the soil treated? Was there child labor, et cetera, right? And then we go to processing, mm -hmm. same questions, energy, waste, safety, et cetera. And then we go to manufacturing and then we go to distribution, right? Oh, Every single goodness. stage. So it's this crazy matrix so that's why for me, somebody like me, who's you know, pretty well studied in this, I don't like to just say, oh, this is a sustainable t-shirt because yeah. it might be made with organic cotton or it might be made with recycled or upcycled fibers. But until I have visibility in the, into the entire supply chain, environmental, social, every stage, looking at every one of those factors, I just kind of rattled off and then there's, there's so many more, it's just so hard. But no matter what, to, for brands to have to address all of those things that I quickly laid out, it just continues to add cost. Because then if they say, okay, then we're going to use organic cotton, then, you, then I would say as a consultant, how do you know that really is organic cotton? And they're like, oh, I, I don't know. Good. Okay. We're gonna, we have to have traceability and we have to work all the way back and we need to get this certified by somebody else, a third party who can go work with the, van, you know, the supply chain to India or whatever it is and who can come back and say, Yep, we have verification. We have all the certificates at every stage, the transaction certificates. There you are. This truly is organic cotton. Here's all the lot numbers. They match up. Somebody had to go through and make sure that those bales of cotton got over to here. They got spun into the yarns. The yarns went to the fabric, right? That was just one stage. Wow. The easy way, the cheaper way is just like, I don't want to know. I don't, what, what, the vendor said, what is it? How much is it? Cool. No questions. We'll take it. That's the easy way. That's not, that's not what sustainability is though. Right. It's really tough when it comes to cost. So sustainability is more expensive. And, I'll, and I, I think you're about to ask a question, but I'll tell you one thing as a student though, for those that can't afford the premiums that are just kind of inherently come with doing business better right now, buy, re, buy repurposed, buy, you know, participate in the re-commerce sector, buy used mm -hmm. secondhand, probably the best way you can do it, buy something that shirt that you're wearing, classic, sharp shirt, great color. <laughs> You'll wear that for 10 years, right? And I it's did. Like the, all my clothes, I um, not to brag, but I wear them for like five years. <laughs> One of the most sustainable things you can do. You know, that's going to be better than trying to find a right priced, not fast fashion, but somebody who is, because it's just like the, the amount of embedded resources that went, or that went into that shirt all the energy, all the emissions that were created, the soil impacts, the, the labor issue, everything that was in there. Mm. Imagine if we just had, you know, you had this set of goggles that you could go back in time and like see everything in there. It would blow your mind, right? Just see right. The, every step and the stages and the hands that touched it and the sewing and people getting cut and nicked and hurt and 
who, or it, it was flawless and everybody had a great time joyfully making that shirt. We don't know. Yeah. The longer you can hold on to that and the more use you can get out of that and spread those impacts, amortize those impacts, if you will, over the next 10 or 12 years, way more sustainable than saying that nah, it's a little wrinkled. Never mind. I'm going to go buy a new one. I'm going to buy an organic cotton one at, you know, shopping place X. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, I think important to know why things are cheap to ask our question, like ask ourselves the question, like why, why is it this cheap? And that's to me, when you list all these processes, my immediate thought was how is it that if you list all these processes, work is work and there's so much detail to it. How, how can that be cheap? <laughs> I don't get it. And it shouldn't be. You're right. There's no way this shirt or that shirt that we see, it's like, it can't cost $5. It shouldn't. And so one, how have we gotten it this cheap is by externalizing those externalities, right? We have excluded them from the cost. And so in order to try to get to the true cost of things, we do what's called, we try to internalize all of those externalities and say, you know what, we will, we will own up to those and mm -hmm. we will start to add those in. But this is where it gets tricky because the consumer doesn't want to pay. But if we mm -hmm. can express to them why we're charging more, why it costs more, and that we've included these impacts that normally have been ignored and, and then get another brand to do it and get another brand. So it, it also is this complex thing of it takes brands to do it. It takes, you know, legislature, government to get involved, nonprofits, civil society sector, customers, consumers, everybody has to be woken up to this idea and kind of go, man, how is it that stuff got so cheap? Because it, it, sh it, it shouldn't have, it just can't, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to your point. And have you seen the, um, the story of stuff? The story of stuff, is it a Netflix special? Uh, no, it's a little, you can go to the storyofstuff.com. I think that's their website. And now they have a whole bunch of movies, but it was a woman named Annie Leonard. Um, she's now the CEO at Greenpeace, I believe. Uh -huh. She did this little animated series on explaining kind of in this great way, of, it's like 12 minutes or so, of the cycle of our products. And all of what I just tried to explain, she does a great little animation and it's really fun watch. And then she ended up doing one on you know, the story of plastic bottles and the story of e-waste and the story of cosmetics. There's everything now, but yeah. it all started from that one video called the story of stuff. And she addresses that too. It's like, how can this small little radio that I thought I needed at the local radio, you know, at the local electronic shop, how can it cost $5? And that's where she tries to unravel is like, there's no way it shouldn't, it can't. I, uh, I'm a visual learner anyway, but that, that sounds good. And, I like um, it, it's really fun. I'll check it out. And so when you consult with um, like, yes, your underswell um, role, what are some of the questions you get for advice that you can share? I think most brands that I work with, I work in a space where um, often brands will come to me because they know that it's time to do something. They feel their employees want to do something. Leadership wants to do something. Um, you read, that's all they read about now. It's you know, investors want them to do something about it. And they're kind of going, we know we need to, we know we want to, we don't mm -hmm. really know how, and we're, we're not sure that we want to communicate this to our customers because we're probably not doing enough. 
So like, where do we start and what do we do? The hard part is because often um, business moves so fast, especially in the apparel industry, you have seasons and products and a retailer, you know, it's, and it's moving so quickly. But what I just tried to explain to you in those few minutes, it gets so complicated so quickly. And it is this bigger thing that takes years and it takes effort and it takes resources because sustainability really, like I said, is about understanding your supply chain and that's not the easy way to really stop at every product and say, hang on, who's making this and where, where is the factory located? You know, we're expecting the expectations now are so high because we're expecting them to know, well, what's the percent, what's the migrant makeup in that factory? How many men, how many women, what kind of wages, what's their overtime like, right? What kind of um, programs are in place for them? And that's just the factory where it was cut and sewn. And then we have to ask questions about the fabric, et cetera. So it can be overwhelming. And so what I try to do is get them to think a little more long-term and understand that this is not something that you just get to quickly do and be done. And it's, it's not a campaign. It's, right, like a, right. <laughs> it's a new lifestyle. And so you got to be in it yeah. and not going to have, it's going to take, it'll, it takes years. It really does. You can immediately implement something new and quick and have a little story but you cannot address all those things that we just talked about. Mm. You know, three, five, seven, ten years is not uncommon to build out a sustainability program, you know, because every time you turn the corner, there's a new, a new task. There's a new responsibility. There's a new question. There's a new assessment that you have to do. There's a new verification. There's a new certification. Who's keeping track of it all. So I get it. It becomes a lot. So most of the brands I think are in that space of like, okay, what do we do? Where do we start? Right. When, when you talked about how, you know, there's pressure from the leadership and the people want to do it and everybody wants to do it. You talked in your TED talk, you said you talked about the perfect cheese sandwich. Yeah. The grilled Did, cheese. Grilled cheese. Did you watch uh, chef? Oh uh, no, chef. Uh, the movie, I think it's called uh, chef. Yeah. I watched it. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's about the food truck and he's this, yeah. And, well, it depends. It'll kind of old, maybe I saw one a while back. And yeah, and it's a, it's about a food truck and he's a chef and then this critic comes in and he's like, ah, I need a food truck. And then he um, talked about this cheese sandwich and, and a while ago I listened to a TED talk and it's just like connected. And I was like, this is going to be <laughs> such a good metaphor for this interview. <laughs> I really like that with that one, that analogy of, of just like, to me, because one, if I'm going to work, if we're going to work on a sustainability program, it has to come from the top. Leadership mm-hmm. has to want it, enforce it, give it resources, give it energy, be part of their new platform. They're talking, their, their, their role as a leader has to now include this language. Um, how are we going to perform this quarter? How are our sales? You know, what's our margin? What's profitability? What are our plans? What are we doing for sustainability has to come from the top. Mm-hmm. And then it has to also come from the end. So that's the heat coming down, right? But also your employees, and usually often it's the employees that are often first, they're starting to get hungry and they want it and they're asking questions and they're sometimes the rogue employees will kind of work their way to me and start saying, hey, I'd really like some help at our, at our, at our company, but we're not sure where to start. I'm going to make some introductions to you. So that's the heat from the bottom, mm. right? But even like in the panini press, once all that heat gets in there, but also they need to put heat out to the side to all of their suppliers and all of their stakeholders and everybody needs to be on this same 
um, wavelength, this same heat energy to really melt that cheese. Because if it's only the employees or it's only the leader, you're going to have a half, you know, baked sandwich. And that's yeah. the worst, you know? So yeah. everybody's going to be putting their, giving it some love. <laughs> no, I, I really, I really uh, like that presentation. Also the um, kind of like the domino effect you were talking about. Um, and I mean, nowadays looking forward, everything going on, where do you see, I think maybe like sustainability? I mean, right now you said everyone's pressuring businesses to be more sustainable and get the, get the certifications and everything, but the B Corp certification that Cosm also has, um, do you think it should be a requirement for all apparel businesses? Oh man, I would love it. I think it should be a, well, I mean, you know, it gets tough to say, I mean, yeah, it makes great sense. Like I think, but it's not just apparel, it's all businesses. Anybody who is making anything and doing anything, a B Corp assessment has you go in and answer questions about how do you treat your workers? What kind of diversity do you have? What are you doing for the community? Where are you sourcing your goods? Do you even know what's in your goods? Do you know what impacts mm -hmm. those goods have while they're being made? So it, ans it, 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 it answers or asks you questions that test your knowledge of how, how much you know about you know, the good stuff and the bad stuff about you, the way your goods are made and what type of impacts it is having on your employees, your customers, and, your, your, um, and the community, you know, your, mm -hmm. all of your stakeholders. So I love that approach and I think business plays such a powerful role in driving forward sustainability. Um, I think business, obviously business products and brands play a huge part in most all of our lives and we are so influenced by them. So if we can get them to do, and, and for you, somebody who, you know, younger people, students who don't have a lot of disposable income, mm. you're going, hey, I care, but I can't spend $90 on a pair of shorts. That doesn't make sense for me. You know, I, I would rather just go, can I just go here and get my $14 shorts? So it's the responsibility of the business and I think it's the only way we would drive things forward, but I don't think you can make a company be good. We have to, it's like, you can't make somebody be a good person. Mm. We can influence them and we can continuously be good examples and try, you know, but I, I look at that very much in the way of like, there are just going to be some people in the world who are tougher to deal with and who aren't nice, you know, and a and very current issue, right? <laughs> um, and I think businesses are the same because you're going to have some businesses you're like, Hey, I will voluntarily do that. Uh -huh. I will take on that burden, take on those costs, do that assessment. It's harder and slower to do sustainable business. It just is mm -hmm. the easier, cheaper way is to just don't ask questions. Don't ask anything is I just look through the directory. How much is that? Feels good. No problem. Let's take it. Cheapest price, highest margin. Wow. So sustainable brands are against that. How do we compete mm -hmm. with that? Somebody like me is like, hmm, where did that come from? What is it made out of? It's going to take me, you know, months to make a decision. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. Ask more questions. Ask more questions. The other person is just like, it doesn't even matter because, you know, it's, I can get it so quick. I can get it tomorrow and I can make it in this country or that. Yeah. It's just apples and oranges, you know? Yeah. So I would love to see if, Yes, if there was even some phasing in of making something like a B Corp be a requirement at some point or elements of it for sure, but mm. 
great question. I don't know if I've, anybody's ever asked me if it should be a requirement, but I guess, yeah, that would be my, <laughs> that'd be my hope. When you go shopping with your wife because of all the clothing and sustainability, are you, are you, uh, does it take longer to go shopping? Well, I, I think it's, it's easier because I have a shorter list. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of know, I know what brands I'm going after, what I'll support, and I go after those. Oh, okay. Cosm has a transparent business model. And I'm, we kind of like touched on that already. I, I actually have never seen it. And um, uh, David told me, told me about, about that. And I thought it was so cool. Um, how did that come about that you want Cosm to have a transparent business model? Well, it was really kind of piecing all the, all the best practices of all the things that are going on out there. So definitely we weren't the first, you know, like Everlane for a while was talking about their, all of their factory. They would tell you all the factory. And I think they did costs as well, kind of at a higher level. And there were some brands so, um, that were doing supply, um, um, transparent supply chains and telling you where everything was made. So we wanted to kind of piece all that together and say, hey, here's where every component is made, here's who makes it, what it's made out of, what certifications we have, what fibers we've chosen, why they're better, and then tell you how much it costs because mm -hmm. our products aren't cheaper. They're made in small batches in downtown Los Angeles of sustainable fibers that we start with, you know, the, often the yarns with. So we had to explain that and we thought what better way to try to show people that we weren't trying to I guess in a way justify it, we were trying to justify our costs, but also say, hey, we're not just charging you $84 for these shorts because we think we can. It's because that's kind of what we need to do to survive, to keep this business alive. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back to that idea of sustainable, you know, manufacturing isn't the cheaper way. So, and, and that has also, that transparency has become an industry expectation now. So there's a, um, a report that you can, there's a movement called the fashion revolution movement. And you maybe have seen it, you maybe have seen signs. It comes out every April. It mm -hmm. was um, in honor of, and was built after the Rana Plaza disaster when the factory in Bangladesh collapsed. Um. And that was a big thing because, you know, more than 1100 people died and the brands that were in there, nobody wanted to take accountability and say, you know what? We did know that. And that was a problem. Everybody just said, whoa, that's not our fault. We didn't say we wanted to be in that factory. So then the building owner, nobody wanted to take accountability for it. And the brands were saying, oh, we, we sourced through an agent and we didn't know where they were placing that. Mm. That was the old way. The old way was kind of like this black box, right? We just kind of like I've said before, we just didn't ask any questions. And immediately the public pressure was like, you know what? No, 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 that's not okay. That's not, that is no longer acceptable. Every brand, a brand of your size should know exactly where your products are being made and in what kind of conditions they're being made in. Nobody should die for fashion, right? So they started this movement to say, hey, ask your favorite brand who made your clothes. You know, um, what, where were those people located? How are they living? What are they paid? What kind of conditions are they working in? And then brands on the flip side were saying, hey, um, here, is, here are our people and we made your clothes. So that, and now they do an assessment, it's called the Fashion Tra Revolution Transparency Index. Mm -hmm. And that is this great tool where they go through it and assess the industry every year and go through and, to, and find out from the biggest brands who is being transparent about how their products are made, where they're being made, what kind of code of conduct they have in place, what kind of rules, expectations, et cetera. So it definitely is evolving and becoming a standard. H&M 
You go shopping on H&M and they have, their, they have also now their open source, their transparency as well. They tell you wow. the factory, where it's located, as much Nike, Adidas, Levi's, so many different companies now. It's becoming more and more of a standard, whereas, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, unheard of. Nobody was, you know, that was our proprietary information. Hmm. So when we started Cosm, it felt a little bit disruptive, but it definitely is becoming the norm now to um, yeah. the expectations now to tell that information. It's, it's, kind, it's reassuring. I guess, I guess it's like a reassuring way to be informed and it's honest. It's such an honest way to do business, I think. Yeah. And that's, I, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, thanks for that. Cause I think that's the hope, right? It's like, we're not perfect. We're not, it's not going to be, and it's like, Hey, and it might be too much for you. I get it. It's okay. But at least, at least it's all out there and it makes yeah. us feel good. It makes me feel good to go. We're doing what we can and we're doing our part and we're not trying to be anything that we're not. And I'm not going to try to hide anything from anybody. And it's not always going to be, you know, absolutely. There's going to be things that we always have to work on, but at least you will always know. And we will just lay it out all on the table. Yeah. Which is like kind of nice. Cause it's like, okay, there's an open conscious. There's, 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 there's you know, if you like it, it's like the farmer's market, you know, it's like, yeah. you get to see it all here. Yeah. So. Oh, the farmer's market. You walk through and you see everything. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, when you teach now at also, like you said, Orange Coast County, uh, Orange Coast College. Yep. Uh, what kind of questions do you get from students nowadays? Is it uh, is the general and like the general interest is there, or is it um, twenty years from now that probably wasn't a you know, a program, not, not at a lot of universities. I was wondering nowadays how, what kind of questions they have to sustainability. Yeah, I think it's still, um, when students come in, I, I think the, the depth at which I go into for sustainability, I mean, so we spend, you know, 15, 16 weeks for each course, and there's three of them there's enough time to like be talking about sustainability and all the different things the entire time. Right. We, right. we never get bored. I never run out and between all the readings and everything. So point is some people come in with sort of a preconceived notion and it's fun to, cause I always give them a, an assessment in the beginning to say, what do you, where would you rate yourself in sustainability? You know, and some people kind of like, yeah, I think I know, I think I know a bit almost, I would say, if not, everybody will always leave the class, especially even if it's just the first one or the second one, just going and we'll laugh. We'll look back at what they thought they knew going in. Yeah. And that's not me to say, oh, I'm so smart. It's just because <laughs> I have also spent 12 and 15 years learning this. Yeah. And so I know. So I'm like, and I'll never say, no, you don't know. But I always go, hmm, well, let's, let's see. Let's see if you are aligned with what I'm going to share with you and we're going to go through it together. But I love watching them just go like have this moment about halfway through and then they'll continue to do it like different lectures. They're just go like, Oh my, like, are you kidding me? You know, people are just like, I, why did we not? And it was the same reaction I had, right? Why did we not know? Why did we not learn this? Why are they not teaching this? Enough? And why is this not integrated into everything? And I, that's my whole goal now mm -hmm. is that this shouldn't be like this bolt on class because the way I teach it, the first class is called the, it's like the essentials. And even my private class that I do is called the essentials, um, sustainability essentials and the triple bottom line. Mm. And that is just sort of underland, understanding the language of what leads us to sustainability. 
looking at the sustainable development goals, understanding biodiversity and, and ecosystems and biomimicry and how the role that nature plays in the carbon cycle and, and climate change and all of that basic knowledge. And we haven't even gotten to the fashion industry yet, right? Yeah. So I need to make sure everybody can understand, even coming in and it's like, let's make sure everybody can understand and can explain on their own climate change, how it's happening, what drives it, what, what it's causing, you know, what, what the cause is, what the effects are, et cetera. And surprisingly, right, still people are like kind of bumping into each other with the wrong language, but yet we take it for granted that everybody knows how it's yeah. happening, where it's coming, right? And so even for me, so what I've done these last 12 or, or you know, so years or 15 years, I think I don't know, 14 years, I think that, but is I've had to teach myself and learn. And so I'm like, man, what? Yeah, I want to share this because I took, I had to go take the time to go down the rabbit hole and figure it out and then learn it in business as well. So I just love watching them come in. They're passionate. They're excited. They know this is an important space, but I think there's still a lot of learning to do for mm. all of us and all of these things. And I really want them to move from that level of like, yeah, I know, you know, sustainability is about recycling and it's about, you know, buying used. It's like, well, that is part of it, you know, but there's all this other stuff. And so I love to watch them evolve. They are hungry for it. And all of us, by the time we're done, are just frustrated that it's not built into um, education, you know, business holistically, that you kind of have to go out and choose it and choose this pathway. And I don't think it should be that. I think it should just be integrated into every, if you're going to want to be a marketing professional or communications and PR or whatever it is, sustainability should part be a part of your process and in the food industry, wherever, every industry needs to know what its yeah. impacts are and how to address them. And it's, especially now it's so hard. I mean, transitioning into this pandemic and before we were in the restaurant, it was like, I mean, now you see there's so much more plastic everywhere. Masks are flying around outside on the sidewalk, which makes me super angry. Um, and that is so, it's, it seems like such a step backward. Um, and because people are trying to save others from, you know, exposure to COVID-19. Um, and it's, it's so frustrating, you know, it's like, uh, it's, yeah, we need to keep customers safe. And I think that's going to be everywhere in every aspect of our, whatever industry it is. True. I mean, that, that is a big, it's, um, it is important. So I guess now would be a good time perhaps for us to shift our attention to the other part of the value chain, right? The plastic is sort of way down here. It's like, okay, now we're at the point where it's going to market and we're getting ready to use that product. But looking up the, up the um, cycle, all the way back to, well, maybe what were those plastics made of? You know, mm. does it have to be petroleum based? I mean, there are so many cool new alternatives that are coming out. Even if it's paper goods, were those associated with deforestation or clear cutting of ancient forests? We don't know. But also now kind of, you know, turning our attention to the bigger, probably the bigger issue though is, is climate change, the climate crisis right now and the impacts that that has had on biodiversity, mm. pressure on biodiversity leading to issues that are linked to viruses and, you know, i.e. pandemics. So, which is then causing this plastic, you know, even more plastic waste, but the big root cause, the bigger elephant, is climate, yeah. change, climate change and biodiversity impacts. So, 
I'm with you that it's like, oh, plastic, look at all this stuff. It's a, it's an issue and every, and we need people that are addressing that. But I kind of look at that too now, like where I see, you know, um, the plastic bags on, on the products, it's all bad. You know, the break room, we don't have a recycling bin. I get all of that is bad, but guess what? For me, my thing is like, whew, but we need to change the way business is done on a much bigger level. We need to get off of, you know, petroleum based fossil fuels and switch to a renewable, you know, society and, uh, um, and infrastructure. And mm. otherwise we, we, <laughs> the, the straws that are in the mass that are on in the gutters, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, It's all important though, but for sure, but it just complicates it too, because maybe since you can't, we can't do anything about that plastic life right now because um, of how we have to live due to the pandemic or the mm. virus, we can turn our attention to then, okay, well, what can I do on the bigger picture? And whether that is the way we vote, the things we buy, the way we live our lives, the things we choose to really focus on addressing that big thing, because this other you know, um, this other one might be a little more out of our hands, even though they all, all of those feel like they're out of our hands sometimes. So, yeah, see, but right then I noticed how, so I was thinking, Oh, paper products are good. Paper straws are good. Let's save it. But I didn't learn from what you told me before. It was, you know, this is a 10 year process and, uh, you have to go back to the root and, um, you know, really this is bad right now, but the big, picture is climate change and uh yeah i i really i really know it's talking to you how much you're an optimist mm. and uh and i i'm that way too but i uh i just noticed it and i was like that's uh I, that's necessary it's, i guess also to you know fight climate change yeah i think i mean i saw something i think it was this weekend i think it was on sunday morning somebody said a woman said you know well of course we have to of course we have to fight we can't give up she goes because something like what else are, what else are we supposed to do like this is what we're here for this is life this is part of it is we have seen something happening that is not right that's not good for us mm. so what do we we can't just stand by and not address it right so it's like this is our this is part of i think our i don't know evolution or, or us as humans like okay this is a responsibility we have got it let's fix it let's go <laughs> so that's how i look at it whether i truly think we can get it addressed or fix it i don't know it's complicated there's so many different issues and it's just a shame that there are but it's the greatest challenge of our lifetime for sure and to me that's what drives me it's like i want to be a part of that like that sounds mm -hmm. awesome like at that mm -hmm. Okay, win or lose, I don't know, but it's like that's what I'm gonna. That's what I want to do, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be able to look my kids in the eyes and say, "Hey, I was there. Yeah. I I was doing what I can, and here are all the things that I did, and here's how I ran. Here's how I ran my show, and I think we, you know, made an impact even in a little way. So, I have this. I have this um, saying that I always tell my students and everybody. They will always leave my classes knowing sort of my favorite phrase and what you just said prior to this is um, reminded me of it. It's that because people always want to know, well, what's better? Is it a, pl is a plastic straw better than a metal straw or is a paper straw better? So mm -hmm. my answer for anything or is cotton better than polyester, you know, whatever. It's just, it depends. It will mm -hmm. always just depend because I don't know. I got a lot of questions to ask. Let's start <laughs> going through the list, right? Because you can't compare the two until you really know, right. until you start unraveling it all and really looking. 
And it, like for you as a visual learner, imagine like this little cartoon of like, okay, I don't know, let me go through the box and pull out everything and look, lay it all out and go, okay, that one, next one, pull it all out, lay everything out and go, huh, actually this one in this particular case mm. is better. But we can't say it about all of them because not every single thing is made in the same exact way. So it's just, for me, that's also, I think, why I'm an optimist because I've also come to realize like, you know what? Not, there is just, there's too many questions to ask. There's too much to know. Helps me sort of settle down and just go, all I can do is just address what comes in front of me. And when somebody comes and says, well, which two are better? I don't know. Let's go through the exercise of starting to look through them and learn mm -hmm. and realize what's happening right now in front of us. And then yeah. try to go out there and fix the rest of it because everything is, in, you know, everything is, has its own story. Right. Yeah. Uh, Derek, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I learned so much from you and I wish I could speak so much longer with you because, <laughs> but I uh, wanted to ask you, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, there's so many different things you do and so many <laughs> Cosm, the Underswell, Volcom. What, what's your, How can people uh, reach you if they want to learn from you or ask you a question or do you not care about that? Or <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do care because as an entrepreneur, it's nice when your businesses are sustaining and you can you know, stay <laughs> doing what you're doing. Otherwise, I might have to go back and work at a restaurant. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so they can find me at The Underswell. So the, all my channels are just The Underswell. That's my website for, you know, individual coaching or helping brands. And that's where they would find the School of Understanding which is, so I have a, um, two different courses. They're each about tw 12, 13 lectures each. So it's this kind of stuff. If you wanted to learn self-paced about all these things that we're talking about, if somebody wanted to do that. So go to the underswell for that. Mm -hmm. And, and then if they want to go for, uh, you know, product and me putting these practices into the market, that's, um, Cosm and our website is the Cosm. That's all of our handles as well. So kind of mm -hmm. applying my sustainability philosophies into our product and our brand. That brand also focuses a lot on mindfulness. So we, you know, started off in the yoga space, but we're doing, it's really about mindful living and being a good mindful person as, as well. and looking good, I guess, while you're doing it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, you said I'm an optimist and on my personal channels, it's just Derek A. Sabori. And that's, you know, I call that, that's just for like positive vibes. I try uh -huh. to, yeah, just keep it uplifted and, and positive. And on LinkedIn, I do, I try to keep pretty busy on LinkedIn as well, just under my name, Derek Sabori. So yeah, yeah. any of those places. At the end of every part episode, so the podcast is called As I Say, and I always try to learn slang because that's kind of like, originally I was going to start the podcast and just talk about slang because there's so many, so much slang I learned in the US that I don't understand. Like people, especially at the restaurant, I always ask someone, uh, it's like the peanut gallery or something. I was like, what, <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? And, and then, and then, I, and then so, I always try to learn new sayings. So I was going to ask you if you have some, I know you said it depends. I was wondering if that's the last, if, if that's the one you may think of, or if you have one that you could share with me in exchange for a German one. Mm. I think the only thing I can think of like slang, what's funny when you brought that up, I think as a surfer for me, like I've been a surfer for most of my life and we have a lot of slang and surfing Mm -hmm. um, that you may or may not have heard of. So I'll throw a couple out and see if you've already heard of them. So 
when we say when something is like super good, if you just got a great wave or you got in the tube and somebody saw you because they were paddling out right when you were in there and you're looking at them and they might yell out and go, they would say, oh my gosh, that was so sick, right? And you probably hit that one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. One. But if I'm in that tube and I also, you know, fall and get smashed and I would just go, oh my gosh, I just got so worked. You know, I got so, so worked. getting worked over by that wave because the wave just like you go through the, the washing machine kind of is what you go through. We just like boom, boom. Or you got pounded. We say we got pounded. Pounded. Oh, that's deep. That's that's a, that's a great one. And um, I'm going to I'm going to try to use that in my daily uh, interactions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can say what you would say is if the if the host or the host person sat you with too many tables, you could just go, oh man, I just got so worked by that hostess. She just yeah. sat me five new tables. I got worked. Uh, I got worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, for me, I thought of one because I wanted to re relate to clothes. Um, so the German one is Kleider machen Leute. Kleiden machen Leute. Yeah, Kleider machen Leute. And it means, and so it translates directly to um, clothes make people so it yeah. and it mean like the meaning is like uh it's like the impact a person has also depends on our clothing like if if i see if i go to a bank i expect people to wear suits um but if they all yeah. of a sudden wear um surfer wear then i'm confused yeah, exactly. Well, and it's almost like um, instead of we are what we eat, it's like we are what we wear. We are what we wear. Yeah. Right. And I think what I hope to do with Cosm is that's exactly what it is, where it's like, I want this to represent the values that I have as a person, as a human. And I want my products, what I'm wearing to represent those values and be made in line with how I want to live my life and what type of person I want to be. So if I want to live a joyful, peaceful positive life hopefully my my clothing which i wear all of us have to wear it every day matches those values and is is resonating on the the same vibrations if yeah you will. oh gosh well this was <laughs> this was so much fun thank you i i can't believe i was nervous i at the beginning i really enjoyed our conversation i learned so much and i hope that people also learned so much learned and um but yeah Thank you for being here, and um, I I am looking forward to like your continued success with all the different fronts that you're covering. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out and including me on your show. It was, a, it was an <laughs> honor. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I'm I'm humbled to be here with you, and, and I love good conversations, and I love meeting good people. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You're three hours, three hours uh, behind, so you still have a uh, little sun to catch up on and everything. Yep. I'll get out there. I'll get out there and enjoy it. All right. See you, Derek. Thank, Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. If you made it this far, thank you very much for listening. All the way to the end, you go. It was a great experience for me to interview Derek and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Derek, thank you for giving me your time and being part of this. If you want to check out Derek Sabari, 
I have all the links in the description if you want to ask some questions, if you want, you're curious about Cosm. By the way, the way I heard about uh, Cosm was through my very talented friend, David Geraldo. He's a photographer. He has a great Instagram account, uh, David Geraldo. Uh, and he told me about uh, Cosm and how great the brand is and how great Derek and Troy are. So this conversation kind of, this conversation changed my view on buying clothes. I always, and never really was a fan of shopping anyways, but mostly because of the impact it has on my wallet. So now I even have more reasons not to buy all the time. And Goodwill and thrift stops, wherever you are here in America, there's Goodwill. Um, I'm German, so I'm not sure the thrift shops that are in Germany. If there's a Goodwill, maybe it's called Goodwill or something. That would be actually pretty funny. Goodwill. And yeah, maybe consider that or maybe more conscious of it and driving the conversation forward. Please share this conversation if you enjoyed it. If you have feedback, you can get in touch with us. You can send us a DM on our Instagram, as they say pod. And you can email us, as they say pod, at gmail.com. And if you want to stay in touch with our upcoming episodes, why don't you subscribe? And there's probably a notification mark on Spotify or wherever you listen um so then you get notified when we post a new episode and i was thinking it was a great idea to ask what my how my roommates shop and if they use re-commerce like goodwill and i'm about to ask my roommate sam what he thinks and why 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 he buys there or if if he does so we'll see this is a live survey Hey Sam. Yeah. Do you have a second? Yes. Okay. Hey question, I'm doing a live survey right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm doing a live survey right now. And I had an expert on on sustainability, Derek Sabori, and so he consults businesses like on how to be sustainable and considering the supply chain of where products are made to where they end up. Do you know what re-commerce is? Um, it rings a bell. I don't know exactly what it means. So thrift shops or Goodwill or um, those kind of stores. Do you shop there? Uh, yeah, I thrift from time to time. I'm a resident thrifter. You can find cool clothes there too, right? Yes. I like thrifting because I can find cool clothes that are also cheap. A lot of my favorite clothing are from our items that I got from like Goodwill or from another thrift store. The jeans I'm wearing right now actually are oh, from a thrift store. Yes. They do look good. You wear them a lot. I notice them all the time. So <laughs> do, so would you recommend Goodwill to listeners or using thrift stores? He notices my jeans all the time. That's a yes. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> no problem, dude. Bye. Bye.
This was the As I Say podcast. Today's guest was Derek Sabori. And next week, I'll have a great catch-up conversation with my younger co-host of this podcast, David. He's in Germany, and so we every two weeks we have catch-up conversations. So stay tuned, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Auf Wiedersehen. See you later. Wow.